You're listening to the Rua Space Podcast. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Rua Space Podcast, where we help you make space for the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in your everyday life. I'm Phil, and today I am really excited and blessed to be joined by Mark Scandrett. Now, Mark does a lot of different things, including being a part of the creative team for Nine Beats Collective. He's the founding director of Reimagine. He teaches at Fuller, and he's written a number of excellent books. So for me, I originally met Mark over 10 years ago at an Inhabit conference in Seattle where I learned about his book, Practicing the Way of Jesus. Now, friends, this is a book that I cannot highly recommend enough. It was extremely formational for me in my journey of faith and my journey as a leader in the church. It's one of those books that just sort of soaked in and has come up over and over again. So when Mark's new book, The Ninefold Path of Jesus came out, I thought, okay, it's time. Got to finally reach out to Mark, have him on the podcast. And so we're very grateful that he agreed to come on. He talked about both of these books in this episode. And while they are two different books, obviously, I think they really do go together well, really talking about actually following the way of Jesus in our lives, not just something in our mind, but something that we live out. So wherever you are on the journey, friends, I think that this episode can bless you, challenge you, encourage you. You'll walk away with some really practical, not just knowledge, but application of how to follow this path. And then I would highly encourage you to go check out the links below to go even deeper with Mark and what he's up to. I know you won't be disappointed. You can go check out those books, maybe join one of the labs. And then also you'll see in the description below a link to Patreon. If you've been blessed by this ministry, we'd love if you'd consider supporting it for just a few dollars a month. Help us sort of keep the microphone on as well as get access to some really cool exclusive content and such that we do over there. Sermons, series, guided practices, and more. So with that, friends, before I give too much else away, here is my conversation with Mark Scandrett. Mark, welcome to the Rua Space Podcast. Hey, it's really great to be with you, Phil. You know, I met you, you didn't meet me, but I met you probably uh, 10 years ago at the Seattle School during an Inhabit conference, a uh, little breakout session. And I just want to say it's really an honor to have you on today because that was a very formational uh 45 minutes or so for me in terms of your practicing the way of Jesus book, Jesus Dojo, all that. Um, so this is this is like a dream come true for me. Yeah, uh, it's so fun. So let's kind of start there. I know you have a new book that just came out called The Ninefold Path of Jesus, which is exploring the Beatitudes. And we're going to dive into that. And it's something I highly recommend people go check out. But I actually want to take a step back because I think it can sort of flow into this book and talk about that Jesus Dojo idea that you had. And can you kind of begin to explain how that started, a little bit of what it was, and sort of just let's see where that kind of goes. Sure. Uh, well, when I was in my mid twenties, uh, like a lot of people, I went through a phase of reevaluating my previous um, church and faith experience, and and um, some people call that deconstruction. I try and normalize it. It's a it's a normal part of adult development to relook at uh, your previous faith background. 
And a, a lot of our friends were doing the same thing. And we were coming up against a lot of frustration about how we, we see this kind of vibrant life uh, in the gospels and this, this um, adventure that Jesus was inviting people into and how it turned the world upside down. And we wondered, why aren't we experiencing that kind of transformation? And of course, it was easy for me to look out and be critical of Western Christianity or the church. But if I was really honest, I, I wasn't experiencing the kind of transformation in my life that I think is, is uh, expected. So we started asking then, well, how, what are the ways that we've tried to be formed spiritually? And I think three things have tended to um, predominate the way formation has been done in the Western world. Um, and uh, one is that it's tended to be individualistic. Another, it's tended to be information driven. And third, um, it's tended to be dishonest or disengaged from the messy details of life. So in contrast, how did Jesus make disciples? How did he invite people into his revolutionary way of life? Um, in community, not just through information, but through embodied practices and threshold experiences. And then he's, he spoke with a real honesty about the human condition. And so, um, you know, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he said, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is wise. And so my friends and I started paying very close attention to those red letters of the, um, of the Gospels. And uh, I'd been being spending a lot of time at the, uh, around that time with somebody by the name of Dallas Willard, who was a professor of philosophy. And he'd also written a book called The, uh, the Divine Conspiracy that gave us language for this bigger picture of what Jesus was about, that it wasn't just about uh, good news for the afterlife, but uh, um, a whole new way to be human. And uh, it was about the kingdom of God. And so one, one time I was with Dr. Willard and I was, I was usually the youngest person in the room and I was a bit of a punk and I would say, Dallas, how are we supposed to actually live this out? You articulate this beautiful picture of the a life with God, but I'm trying to plant a church or start a community. How would I do this? And in a de deceptively simple way, he said, I think a group of people should look at what Jesus did and taught and then try to do those things. And my first thought was, duh, this is when I, when I was 12 years old reading the New Testament, this is what occurred to me. Like, and I started doing that. And then, um, and then I got discipled <laughs> and I, away from that sort of primal journey of trying to follow the Jesus way. And it was more important what I thought about predestination or uh, doctrines or what kind of instruments you can have in church. And, and um, so really this was a chance to go back to that primal journey again. And so um, our friends and I just started getting together, looking at things that Jesus said and did. And then kind of, I think since then I realized we were following a, a pattern of learning that was similar to Paulo Freire or bell hooks philosophy of education that um, a group of people should be honest about their current state and interrogate the systems and then say, what could we do to create a better reality for ourselves together to live into what's most real and true. So uh, that led us to 
all kinds of adventures, um, selling half our possessions and giving the money to the poor, uh, um, engagement with our unhoused neighbors, uh, people writing poetry and taking new risks with practicing centering prayer and silence and solitude and, um, you know, uh, working on uh, kind of letting go of resentments and healing in our relationships. And um, so the nickname, as you, as you mentioned, Phil, is that we sort of call it the Jesus Dojo. And um, forgive the sort of cultural appropriation. I don't use that term very much anymore, but it kind of captured the vibe. We want to be, we think spiritual formation should operate more like a karate studio or a yoga studio than a college lecture hall that that we need to take on embodied practices in community with one another and as we've done that i just i think our our growth and development is really accelerated and my sense of belonging with others has really benefited from that as well I really appreciate that because you mentioned that word discipleship in there. And as a pastor, I'm, I'm critiquing myself here. So this isn't like a, oh, they're all so bad. But I think as a church, especially in the West, we really struggle with that. That seems to be the big question. How do we disciple people well? And I think about Jesus and to be, you know, as, as some people would say, covered in the dust of your rabbi, right? To literally follow that person and do what they did, become what they became. It wasn't just like an intellectual thought thing. It was an actual lived out experience. And so you guys actually went and did it, did did you find that people were excited, hesitant, um, confused? What was, I mean, I know you did it with some of your friends, with people who are maybe brand new or even your friends. What was the response? Yeah. What, what was the feeling? Well, one interesting thing is that as soon as we went to this more practice-focused understanding of Christian spirituality, people who were from more Eastern spiritual paths became interested in what we were doing because it, it fit their experience. If, if you, you know, you would go to a retreat or a workshop or a meditation class and you'd actually do practices together. And we had a number of people say, I'm, I'm really from a variety of backgrounds say, I'm really fascinated by um, Jesus and um, you're a group that's actually trying to do, do the Jesus stuff. And so could I, could I hang with you? I don't know if I would be identified, uh, you know, would think of myself as a Christian, but I, but I definitely want to want to want to journey with you. Um, I think when we began, we were at maybe, and maybe we needed to be pretty hardcore. Like I was like, this is a whole new model of being together. It wouldn't work in an institutional church. We're a relational group of people. And um, over the years, I've kind of relaxed on that. I've paid more attention to the mechanism or the, the, the technique rather than saying you have to be a part of this kind of group to engage with this. And so I think whatever a person's kind of uh, faith community situation, I think there's a way for that group to pursue authenticity and invite each other into life-giving practices and actually take them on together. What I would say is, and this is really big, it does require an intentional change in the contract. So um, 
so when I'm asked to speak at a, at a church, I, I try and address this even when I'm teaching on a Sunday. I'll say, um, I understand what the contract is here. I'm supposed to, um, you know, talk in a compelling way, share some scripture, um, hopefully say some wise things and maybe make you laugh. Um, and your, your job is to sit there quiet, silently, maybe take some notes and then shake my hand afterwards and say, good job. But I say, let's be honest, no matter how good the content is of what I share, I'm performing and you're the audience and I want, and, and we're not really experiencing, is this really helping us? I'm, some of us have been doing this for many years. What if we hack the sermon or teaching time? I think the same could be true of hacking the small group time so that it becomes not just about what we know or, or can talk about, but gets us into exercises and practices together um, that can help us live in the new reality. Well, and it, and it seems too that you mentioned the importance of community in this, that it, it isn't something you can just necessarily say, hey, I, I'm going to just do this and step into this challenge or following Jesus, but it really seems to need others on the journey with you, right? To, to challenge, mm -hmm. to encourage. And that to me, the more, the more that I sort of walk on this journey, however stumbling it is, um, the more local-minded I seem to be getting. And that's not to avoid the fact that we have an ecological crisis and need to pay attention to justice issues and things, but mm -hmm. on a day-to-day, -day, that local seems to be more and more important, our, our actual neighbors. Yeah. I, th I like to think there's a both and, uh, because one of the challenges is your, your geographical neighbors might not be interested in going on the journey that you're going on. Sure, that's true. So what, ha what ends up happening for some people is they, that they're waiting for the right people to, to be, come, come within a 10-minute drive of their, their house or where they live. And so I'm deeply committed to my local context and uh, me and my family and a few of our, our friends. But I've also found that, um, you know, I, on the, on an online platform, I can also say, is there anybody who wants to go take on spiritual practices with me or, or with us? And we've been able to go on pretty significant and wholehearted journeys with people uh, over long distances. And so hopefully, hopefully that experience, that intensive group experience helps us be rooted more in the places that we live as well. No, absolutely. And, and, and as you're saying that, we, we've discovered that to be true. You know, this is plugging ourselves here a little, but we do Patreon. And I, I know you're probably familiar with that, but we do mm -hmm. live events together like Lexio Divina, Finger Labyrinths, that type of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I mean, people all over the U.S. coming together to practice. Um, mm -hmm. it, is, it is a lot of fun. So you're totally right on that. So as we're exploring that, then it, it does bring me to the ninefold path of Jesus, this new book. And what I think the connection for me that I appreciate this is you're exploring the Beatitudes and you're bringing the body into it. You're bringing the whole mm. life experience mm -hmm. into it. And I really appreciated your story about the uh, coming to it from sort of the Four Noble Truths, Eightfold Path idea of a friend. So would you mind sharing that story and kind of why this sure. book? Why now? Yeah. So um, when in about 2015, I was in London 
um, leading a retreat for a Bible agency there. And, and after the day's activities, a couple of my friends took me out to a pub and they said, Mark, we're going to start a new uh, project. And we wondered if you'd want to be involved. They said here in the UK, very few younger gen- of the younger generation are I- interested in church community. Um, a lot of a lot of people actually think that organized religion is toxic, and yet everyone has these spiritual longings. And so we want to do a project around the Beatitudes because it, I, we think that many people don't realize that the things that Jesus was talking about are the things that really our hearts, uh, you know, long for justice, peacemaking, wholeheartedness, compassion. And I, and I said, yeah, that sounds awesome. I'm in. And because I'd, I'd, they, I I was there because I'd written uh, the book, practicing the way of Jesus. And I said to them, um, we started looking at the Beatitudes together in this pub. And I said, you know what this reminds me of? Uh, years ago, when my first book came out, uh, I had a Zen priest contact me. And he said, um, you're, I saw your book in a bookstore, and I thought you might be the kind of Christian that I could talk about something in my life with. He said, he said, when I, I'm about to go, go through Dharma transmission, which means full ordination as a Zen Buddhist priest. But when I sit Zazen in meditation, I hear Jesus calling to me and I don't know quite what to do with that. <laughs> and so I said, of course, let's talk. And we became fast friends. And the second time we got together, we were walking around uh, my neighborhood, the Mission District of San Francisco. And incidentally, it's awesome having a, a Zen priest as a friend. Because when you walk around, everyone, at least I live, people bow respectfully <laughs> and they, you get a lot of smiles. <laughs> and uh, we're walking down the street and I said, Shinko, I'm not that familiar with faith traditions outside my own. Maybe you can help me understand when you wake up each day, what do you seek to do and to be? And as you said, in about four minutes, he told me about the the. Uh, four noble truths, and then talked about the eightfold path. And he said, Mark, I wake up each day seeking to deepen my experience of those paths. And I was really impressed with how, um, how, how clear and concrete his response to my question was. Then he, then he turned to me and he said, Mark, you identify as a follower of Jesus. When you wake up each day, what do you seek to do and be? And first I thought, oh, this is my chance to give my testimony about how I came to believe certain things about Jesus. And so I quickly realized that's not what he asked me. And that that's what I would call a past tense question. You know, like I took it as a past tense question and I really, it helped, helped me realize a lot of how I have understood my Christian spirituality tended to be either in the past or the future, big question mark around the present. And so I quickly recovered and I, I said, Shinko, I wake up each day and I try and love God with my heart, soul, mind, and strength and love my neighbor as myself. And I sort of patted myself on the back, you know, good recovery, Mark, except (laughs) I was haunted by how vague my answer was in comparison to his. And 
Um, was my answer vague because Jesus was vague about what, what, what it means to follow his way? Or had I just not learned to pay attention to what is right there in the gospels? And so I turned to my friends in this London pub and I said, you know, when I used to spend time with uh, Dallas Willard, he would say the Sermon on the Mount is like the curriculum for Christ's likeness. And, uh, but, um, and, and so may, and so the Beatitudes are like the table of contents at the beginning of that Sermon on the Mount, but it's 110 verses. Um, there's lots of like kind of Eastern um, path wisdom sayings in there that are harder for the Western mind maybe to grasp. But we started taking a look at those. We're like, yeah, this is like, this is like the ninefold path of Jesus. Blessed are the poor. That's like an invitation to the way of trust. Blessed are those who mourn. That's like an invitation to the way of lament. Blessed are the meek. That's like an invitation to the way of humility. So basically for the book, we're, uh, I was using the Beatitudes to kind of hang, build, you know, cr- uh, awaken imagination for this, the, the specific, more specific paths of what it means to, to follow in the way of Jesus. Yeah, putting flesh and blood, incarnating that message of loving God mm-hmm. and loving others. And yeah, I, I think <clears throat> taking it down from sort of that 10,000 foot level is important because we live in a time now where it's, it, it, it seems to be difficult sometimes to say, well, what does it mean to love my neighbor? Mm-hmm. What does it mean in terms of our political climate, in terms of COVID, in terms of racial tension and all these things? And maybe the Beatitudes hold the answer to that mm-hmm. that can help us really in how we walk. Right. So the process on this book was kind of interesting. And um, it, it's a method that I try and follow in most of my work. And that is that I spend years workshopping it and do and doing experiential labs before I ever write the book. So with those friends in London, we I was I was part of a project called Nine Beats or the Nine Beats Collective. And they invited me to create a, a lab around the Beatitudes. So uh, Phil, I think you'll get this like a lot of people like you read my book, Practicing the Way of Jesus, got really excited about that concept of the Jesus Dojo. But it was kind of like a um, it was kind of like a cooking show book. And what I mean was I'm I'm like <laughs> describing all the ingredients and you're you're seeing the oil flash in the pan and things sizzle. And 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 then you see me tasting it with delight on my face. And so people got excited about that, but they, the book did not contain like the recipe and the measurements. And so I, I worked like a mad scientist for a couple of years on something called the ninefold path lab. And it's a 150 page guide for a group to go on this experiential journey uh, through the Beatitudes. It's available at a website called ninefoldpath.org. And it's we'll put, a great I'll put comp- that in the show notes so people yeah. can click right to it. It's a great companion to this uh, book. And so I just simply wrote the book as a way of telling stories about the, the amazing awakening and transformation that we've seen happen in these labs over the last five years. 
Yeah, we tried in Seattle. We we called it M Lab for Millennial Lab. It was like a group of twenty and thirty somethings, and we would get together and and try different things to try and do these practices together and mm-hmm. and really kind of dive into it. Um, so that that's a great resource. People should definitely check out. You know, one of the things I appreciated that you did was sort of giving the first instinct and it was normally Mm -hmm. like a posture there's even a a person sort of drawn on the page and then there's a new posture a new way to maybe um engage with the beatitude and what it sort of gets at at our deepest core as a human and how we're shaped and then an invitation to a new one would you mind would you mind walking us through one maybe and sort sure. of the, the the old posture and the new one i, I don't want to put you on the spot I, but i would love if you're open to it to do the blessed are the merciful for they shall be shown mercy if you're open for sure. it. sure yeah so let me first say uh one of the premises of the book is that Um, we have some instinctual reactions to the trauma of existence, (laughs) you know, the stress of, of, of being, of, of, of being alive. And um, those responses are necessary, but if we don't learn to see things from a larger perspective, they end up being becoming toxic. So one example would be, that fight or flight response that that um, we're we're primed to pay attention to danger and to to get that accelerated heart rate to feel some stress uh, to fight flee or freeze right and if we if we don't learn to transcend that first instinct response then we live in chronic stress. And so that's why we need practices that help us uh, go from closed handedness to open handedness um, to, to get to calm down, to get access to our free prefrontal cortex, the smart part of our brains. And so my, my hope with this book was to kind of, I call this, I call, I call it, and sometimes I call it the, the psychology of the kingdom of God. Mm. Like sometimes we'll focus on the outside. This is what a follower of Jesus would look like. They would care for the poor. They would be non-judgmental, etc. So what does what needs to happen inside of the person in order to make that possible? And one of my assumptions is that Jesus lived with an accurate understanding of how, who God is who creator is, who, who he was and how life works. And if you and I could learn to see from that accurate understanding of reality, we would naturally in response, be able to show up in these loving and peaceful ways and just ways in our lives. And so, so I think one of the beginning places is developing some awareness around what those first instincts are, and then go, how could I see it differently? How could I, you know, and, and what am I being invited into? What's most real and true? So um, I think wherever in the gospels, you see Jesus talking about the kingdom of God, you could almost just insert reality is because Mm. he was saying, this is, this is how life actually works. And um, so the one, you, you want to talk about this, the, the way of compassion. So 
I think our first instinct, it, well, first of all, let me just say it, the, the beatitude that's behind this is blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Part of our early development is developing a sense of right and wrong and a moral compass. It's very necessary. And the way that we often go about this is, and, and maybe you remember doing this, I definitely do, is I'm watching TV or I'm watching a movie or I'm, I'm hearing a story and I'm listening for who's the good guy or the good person in the story of course. and who's the bad guy. Yeah. And then, you know, um, psychologists like Gilligan and, um, and others would say that part of, a, part of our early moral development is asking a similar question of ourselves. Am I a good boy or a bad boy? a good girl or a bad girl. And our, our minds tend to do this, this work where we say, if I do good, I will be rewarded. If I do bad, I deserve to be punished. And then we do, we extend that to how we see others too. They're not doing the right thing. I want to see them trip and fall. I want to see them get what they deserve. So it was necessary, but if we continue to live in that sort of, with that sort of sense of uh, vengeance and reciprocity, it leads it leads to some unhelpful things in our lives. And so, um, the picture of the posture I, I give in the book is either the pointing finger and the looking down the nose in judgment at others and at ourselves, or I borrowed this from one of my favorite. Um, uh, comedy sketch shows it was in uh it was called new kids in the hall and there there was a character on there called the head crusher and he would stand in the middle of toronto and look out on crowds of people on their lunch break and he would hold his his two fingers up and squish yeah. their heads from like looking across the plaza and say i crush you i crush your head i think that's sort of a physical embodiment of this mm. posture of judgment and contempt and so um, let's be honest, it's a lot of work to live in judgment and contempt. Um, it, it's, uh, I, I experience as being quite unpleasant inside to live in uh, resentment. Um, uh, I think there's, there's good evidence that living in judgment and contempt affects our bodies. Uh, it makes us more vulnerable to disease and um and strains uh, on our heart and so it's all jesus is, <laughs> it's all connected. yeah it's all connected so jesus is giving us some incredible wisdom here both about our bodies and about our relationships and offers us a, an invitation into a new way what if i could go from that head crushing judgmental posture to one in which instead of seeing myself and others through that lens of, of um, judgment, I le learn to see myself and others through the lens and the posture of grace. And so in the book, I invite people to hold up their hands, like in the shape of a heart, a Valentine heart. Yeah. And I'm doing it with you now, Phil, look, look into their eyes and consider, I am looking at someone who creator calls beloved. Yeah. And the truest thing about them and about me is not that we are broken or flawed, but that we are beloved. 
And if we could learn to under, if we could understand that that's the, the generous gaze that our creator has towards us. And from there, learn to learn to have that gaze towards one another. I think it would transform our relationships and really set us free. Yeah. I like that connection of the, the bodily practice offering a shift of perspective and it seems to me that that's what I'll, you look at Jesus parables. What were they meant to do? They're meant to shock you to see things in a new way, right? Like, mm. like the, like the person who's forgiven a great debt, but then can't go and forgive because he's being invited into a whole new economy of grace, but doesn't see it. Mm-hmm. So they're still operating mm. out of the old one. Right. And so you're yeah. sort of inviting people into seeing in this new way. And so I know you mentioned things like um, pos- you know, practicing positive speech, um, seeing with the eyes of compassion, like you said, seeing other people's made in the image of God and those, those sort of bringing all of us to the table meant to give us mm-hmm. those, those new eyes to see. Yeah, when we're doing live events, I actually invite people to turn to somebody near them and look them in the eyes. And th- that's an example of how sometimes we need a we need an interpersonal experience for the truth of something to register with us often people start to tear up when when we do that exercise uh it's profound to be seen with that kind of unconditional positive regard in a way that makes the truth and that gospel message actually register in our in our bones um, and then I think from that understanding, there are some, there are some practices that can help us. Like you mentioned, um, some of the ones that have really helped me that I mentioned in the book, um, one is practicing positive speech. And so I am, I, I've done this, uh, I do this a few times a year. I, I invite a group of people to say, what if for the next seven days, we say nothing negative or disparaging about ourselves or anyone else and only only speak in positive ways. And whenever I do this, make this commitment, I usually mess it up within a few hours. I remember just, <laughs> just before COVID, I was with a group and we all committed to practice positive speech. And within the next three hours, I criticized a politician. I spoke ill of a, of a relative and, you know, like three times in three hours. So the goal isn't perfection, but it's like making that commitment for a week helps me um, get some get some knowledge about how much judgment and contempt have become part of my habit, and that taking on that that discipline of of limit or abstinence helps me become aware of it, brings it from the unconscious to the conscious, and when it's in the conscious, that's where I can make the new novel choice to say I think instead of speaking ill of that person, I'm going to see them as, as an image bearer and to, to um, not that there isn't times where we need to speak out about injustice, but um, I think it's, I think we can do so while respecting a, the personhood of, of the individual. I like that formational aspect of it because I think sometimes it can be scary to enter into practices like that, because maybe we think, oh, if I, you know, quote unquote fail, then I'm worse off than before. Or mm-hmm. now, now, now God's going to be really upset or, or however, however your theology works out. Right. But I remember talking to someone about centering prayer once and they, they were saying that, you know, as you 
pick on that sacred word that you're going to return to or returning to your breath or whatever during this time of prayer and meditation, often when we enter into that space, our mind wanders a million mm -hmm. times, right? And people will say, well, I'm no good at meditating or praying because my mind wanders. And the person's like, no, you return to your word. And if you do that a million times in five minutes, then you just practiced returning to God yeah. a million times when right. your mind wanted to wander. And so to me, like you're saying, you know, if for seven days, yeah, you, you might end up doing it, but, but the conscious reminder of returning will mm -hmm. shape you even when you maybe don't work it out as much as you would like. Yeah. Similar with uh, the eyes of um, compassion exercise where I'll invite people to go for a walk around their neighborhood or wherever we are. Some, sometimes we go to a mall and I'll say, let's spend a half an hour practicing seeing people as God sees them. Mm -hmm. And so as you walk around, try and make eye contact if you can and not be creepy about it. And um, <laughs> yes. look, look, notice the people who, who you see and pause for a moment and consider you, who they are and just silently whisper child of God, may you be well. And mm. what that does for me is it, it arrests some of my first instincts to when I look at somebody think uh, attractive, unattractive, like me, not like me, uh, what's their gender, what's their social class and race to, to see a bit deeper into who they are. And it really, I think it's like a, like you've sort of suggested, it's like a muscle. You can build a muscle of compassion, right? To resonate with, uh, with God's heart. I just add to one of the other practices related to this that um, we invite people into in the book is to actually think about who are the people that I tend to have be carrying resentments towards. And I even invite people to make a list of those people and then consider what, what, what might be my process for letting go of those resentments. And there's a, there's a off quoted um, many it's been said in many forms, but it's uh, resentment is like drinking poison and hoping somebody else will get sick and die. Mm. Like it's only hurting ourselves to hold on to it. Yeah. And so in the book, I suggest some kind of discrete steps for working working through that process of forgiveness. And I, I don't think they can be rushed. I think uh, particularly those who have grown up in religious environments, there's some pressure, Hey, forgive your brother, you know, and, um, and uh, forgive that person who, who abused you because that's, that's what we're supposed to do. But if we haven't sat with the pain a bit and, uh, and with a trusted, um, person been able to explore why did that hurt me so deeply? What did it trigger in me? What what vulnerability did it touch into? We need to, we need to reflect on that, and then and then we're able to and express it, and, and I think have someone say sit with you and say that was hurtful. I understand why you were wounded by that. That that's part of it, and then we can move on to what it might look like to let go of the resentment. I think that's a really good word. And I really appreciate, as you said, that muscle, that muscle memory building and, and across the board in all of that, you know, I know even in chapter one, the sort of the closed fist, open fist, I think that can even be a practice you can engage throughout the day mm -hmm. that will shape you. You know, I've discovered the same thing with my breath, doing a basic breath prayer or meditation. 
And then when that person cuts me off in traffic and my first mm -hmm. response is wanting to, um, you know, give them one of those uh, fishtails, you know, hit, spin them out or, yeah. or, you know, yell or just get mad in my car. And, and I find returning to the breath even a little bit more automatically sometimes because that's mm -hmm. that's been shaped. And I think you have here all eight of the Beatitudes and these real ways to live out the faith. And, and I guess what I want to encourage people with is in this book, you know, it's not just getting more knowledge, like, hey, now I understand the Beatitudes better. It, if, if you read it, it, it's really an invitation to try out and, and see for yourself if, if what Jesus is saying is true. If I do this mm. blessed or happy or however the, the many different translations of, of Makarios, right? And, mm -hmm. um, and just to see that they're true. Mm -hmm. Yeah, test it out. So my best hope um, with this book is that um, people would pick it up and uh, take a look at it and then say, I want to work through some of these practices with a group of people and to go on that journey together. And again, like, I don't feel like, I don't feel like the information in the book is, is life altering, but if you take on the practices that the book invites us into, you're going to get some experiences that will help you integrate and learn to live in a new way. Absolutely. Well, can you leave people then with a final, I guess, word of encouragement or challenge on this journey of entering into the Beatitudes? If you had a word or something to offer. Yeah, I'd, I'd just say um, this is Jesus' manifesto for a new way of being and living. And Jesus uh, in, in Matthew 11 said, you're tired, you're worn out, burnt out come to me i'll show you how to have a real real rest take take my yoke upon you you know become my student and learn from me and you will find rest for your souls so um i think sometimes we think jesus way is a hard way like it's countercultural, but um i think it's 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 actually harder living out of our first instincts <laughs> you know yeah. um and and he he has the lighter and the easier way if we're willing to trust his guidance in our lives um and uh yeah and I, i'd say if, if you're a leader and you want to learn how to hold the space for others uh starting in september and a couple times a year i offer a uh, five-week segment labs where you can actually go through the practices in this book with a group of other leaders and myself to uh, as preparation for leading it in your local community. Here's what I'd like to leave you with. It's a, it's a, a prayer that summarizes the, I think the path that the Beatitudes invite us to. Uh, creator today, may we live with open hands mourn what's broken, serve one another with self-respect, use our power for good, look with compassion, walk in honesty, reach past our differences, suffer for love, and live fearlessly following your way of radical love. Amen. Amen. Well, Mark, with that, 
where can people go even deeper with some of the work that you're doing? Because I know you mentioned there a little training and, and again, I just can't highly recommend the work you do enough. Where can people go to connect deeper? Yeah, the best place to go is markscandret.com. And it, my books are there and uh, upcoming opportunities to be a part of labs. And I also do some uh, leadership coaching with leaders on how to implement some of these things in their context as well. And then I also have a, our organization has a site called reimagine.org. I don't give it quite as much as attention as markscandret.com, uh, but it's there. And then nine, ninefoldpath.org is where you can get the lab. And then if you're interested in the project, the bigger project, Nine Beats Collective, it's the number nine beats.org. And there's a music album and videos associated as well. Well, I will put links to those in the description below this episode, wherever you're listening to it. And so you can go check that out. Highly recommend it. Mark, thank you so much. This was an honor and a blessing. Really appreciate your time and insight and the work that you're doing. So great to be with you, Phil. All the best. Hey friends, Phil here again. Before we go, I just want to say thank you again for joining us for this episode. I pray that you walk away challenged and encouraged. And just again, wanted to recommend one more time, go check out all of the links to Mark's work below. I know that he will continue to be a helpful part of your journey if you will engage what he has going on there. And then you can also, of course, check out the links to Patreon to continue to go deeper with us and support this ministry. So friends, until next time, grace and peace be with you. Mm -hmm.